All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. Um, today, we are going to do a Q&A episode. I'm going to give an update on the backpack review, and I'm going to give an update on bodybuilding contest prep. So lots going on. So first, as always, if you could take a moment to engage with the platform, <clears throat> I would greatly appreciate it. Like, comment, share, subscribe. The best thing you can do is really leave a review if you use uh, Apple Podcasts. That seems to have the largest impact on how far up the rankings the podcast goes. So give it a you know a five-star review or actually physically write something. That would be super helpful. And I haven't shilled the merch in a while, so we might as well hit on that as well. If you want to support the podcast financially, the best way to do this is to pick up a shirt or a hat. So if you go to mindfulhunter.com slash shop, uh, there's a bunch of merch there. I really like it. It's really high quality stuff. The hats are uh, flex fit fullbacks and, you know, nice wool blends and the t-shirts. I, I tried on 10 or 15 different types of shirts before I landed on these particular ones. Um, they're American apparel, so they're an inch or two longer than most of the other shirts, which I like because I hate short shirts. But anyways, if you want to go there and pick up a shirt or a hat, it's greatly appreciated. If not, no stress. Um, so backpack review. Holy bejesus. Did that thing ever go over well? You know, I thought in my head that it was going to land because I couldn't really find a similar review of like equal depth and people are always asking for these things to be put next to each other and no one's really done it. And to be honest, most, you know, content creators have a backpack deal. So they, they stick with one backpack that they have a, a brand partnership with. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. But to find somebody who knows what they're talking about and is willing to be upfront and honest about all the major packs, um, yeah, but I didn't think I was going to get the feedback that I did, both from the brands and from the people who watched the review. So thank you very much for everyone who liked, commented, shared. It was just, it was really rewarding because it took a shitload of effort and a shitload of money and for it to be received like that just really kind of drove home for me like the why of the mindful hunter and like the fact that that's exactly why I do this. That is the type of content that I really want to be putting out on a regular basis. Um, quick note about initial ascent because everybody and their brother is hitting me up about them. I tried to have them on the review. I bought the pack and I waited for three weeks and they kept saying next week, next week, next week. They finally didn't have any stock and I had to cancel the order. I think they are now back in stock, but you know, I'd advertised that I was going to do the review and then to just keep delaying it, it was killing me. Plus I need this review done before my sheep hunt because I need to choose which pack I'm going to run on the sheep hunt and I need to review the packs in order to make an informed decision. So I had to cut them didn't want to cut them, hope to get them in a future version. I've also had a ton of requests for Seek Outside and Seek Outside were great. They hit me up and they're like, listen, if you want to pack to review, just let us know. So 
Um, Seek Outside will definitely be on a future version. I think what I'm going to try and do is an ultralight pack review, specifically the Terminus from Stone Glacier and the Seek Outside pack, because they're both sub four pounds and rated to carry 150 to 200 pounds, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Um, and I want to see if there's any other packs on the market that fit that bill. I don't know any, but if you do know of any, hit me up. I'll put a little Q and a on my, like a poll type thing on my Instagram once I'm ready to kind of initiate that review. Uh, so those two brands for sure. And then I don't know, we'll see, we'll see who else. Um, I think that's about it. I sh I'm trying, I leave for Arizona on Tuesday, the 31st of May, and I'm trying to have the review posted by the Monday. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think if I bust my ass this weekend, I might be able to get it up. So I'll do my best. All right. Bodybuilding prep. Holy shit. Has the shit hit the fan? My God, man. You know, I thought I was grinding and I thought things were difficult until the last week. And now I wonder what the fuck I've been doing the last 12, 16 weeks. I don't even, I think it's been a walk in the park. So real quick recap, I compete on July the 9th. I'm currently six and a half weeks out. I've been prepping kind of since January because I'd done such a long bulk. I needed a long time to shave a lot of body fat but it was kind of a, a slow chill prep for the first, let's say six weeks, six, eight weeks. But then for the last 18, 20 weeks, I've been going pretty hard. Calories consistently dropping, supplements consistently increasing, you know, standard prep stuff, body fat dropping nicely. I started out at 271 pounds. I'm currently 227 pounds. So dropped 45 pounds so far. Um, feeling good. Well, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling like a bag of smashed assholes. If you really want to know the truth, like I've never been this tired in my life. And I want to preface all this first by saying I'm not complaining. I am loving this shit. Like I'm in it. I wake up every single morning and I just want to know how I can push myself harder. So I'm grateful for this opportunity. But in the same breath, I'm going to accurately explain what the process is like. And it's not pleasant. I think you can enjoy something that's not pleasant. And I think if you've heard me talk about hunting and solo hunting in particular, you'll know what I mean when I say that, you know, Rogan calls it type two fun. I enjoy this shit, but it doesn't mean it's pleasant. Um, so basically about a week ago, my my carbs got dropped to 65 grams a day. So let me put that into perspective. So I get two slices of toast with my breakfast, and then I get 25 grams of carbs before my workout, which is about a half a cup of rice. Okay. That's all the carbs I get. And when I say that, I'm not saying it lightly. I mean, I don't, I don't get snacks. I don't get sugar on anything. I, I mean, nothing. Everything else I eat is either a meat or a vegetable. So I have carbs in those two meals and my other four meals of the day are just protein and veg. Um, and it, 
it takes a toll. Like it, it's psychologically and physically exhausting. I'm going to be honest. And I got to give my wife some serious credit. Like my God, you know, I, I kind of warned her going into this. I was like, listen, I'm going to need some patience and tolerance on this one. Like this is not going to be pleasant. And it's really important to me that I do this and we're good. You know, I think that's a, that's the thing I appreciate most about the relationship with my wife is that we are hyper practical. We don't always do everything together. All our goals don't always align. She's got things in her life that are super important to her that kind of fall outside my zone of interest and vice versa for me. But when she tells me like, listen, this thing's really important to me, then it's like, okay, game on. What do we do to make that happen? And she respects me in the same way. And so even though she knows it's bullshit and I'm being a bit of a dick, I've said it's important. I've put a timeline on it and I'll, I'll go back to normal after it's done. But woman deserves a medal for this one. Cause it's not, you know, she's having to pick up some slack with the kid and I'm still doing my job, you know, but there's a difference between showing up for work every day with, a you know, a smile on your face and a bounce in your step and just showing up for work every day and grinding it out. And as far as like a husband and a father, I'm kind of in grind mode right now. And we got six weeks left to go. And that's just the fact of the matter. So I need to give her a note of appreciation. I'm still training five days a week. I'm doing hot yoga once a week and I do cardio twice a day, every day. Uh, And when you add all that up and then only get 65 grams of carbs every day, you just, there's just not a lot left in the tank. There's nothing else to say about that. And I don't even think we're at the end yet. I think he's going to beat the shit out of me some more. I don't think he's happy. My coach, I don't think he's happy with where I'm at. And happy is the wrong word. I don't think he feels secure with where we're at. I think he wants to be further ahead of the game. With only six weeks left to go, I think he'd like to see me leaner than I am. And that's fine with me, man. I have a very interesting relationship with my coach. You hear all these people online talking about like, oh, this like the psychological mentoring and the the coddling that coaches do. And it's like, I have no idea what any of these people are talking about. I have literally next to no interactions with my coach other than this. He tells me what day to check in. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I take my pictures. I upload them. And I send him an update email by 5 o'clock in the morning. By the end of the day, that day, I get a reply. It'll have a new meal plan. And it'll tell me when my next check-in day. That's it. It will literally say, picks next Wednesday. And there'll be a PDF of a meal plan attached. That's it. We don't talk on the phone. We don't email, we don't text. It's not that I couldn't, but here's one of the things like looking for some type of consolation or explanation or rationalization for why you're going through what you're going through to me is a waste of fucking time. Like I'm going, this is shit. I don't need somebody to hold my hand and tell me it's okay. It'll be over. Like that just blows my mind when people need that. So I really respect the relationship that I have with Dom. And I like the fact that A, he doesn't give me compliments ever. I've literally never, I've never got like a, holy shit, you're looking good this week. Or yeah, we're ahead of schedule. Like literally nothing. I I, I might get a note of caution. 
he, you know, in one email, he probably said something like, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We're not as far ahead as I'd like. I'm like, okay. And that like, that dose of reality and that kind of like, I need almost to be a little bit afraid of authority figures in order to, and maybe fear is the wrong word, maybe a little bit intimidated. Like, I want to feel like you've got something I don't, or you know something I don't, or like, if you're going to coach me or lead me, or I'm going to follow you somewhere, it's like, you better have a reason for me to do those things. And like holding my hand and coddling me is not that reason. I want... You know, if I'm going to go to war, I want a leader that's like battle tested. And that's kind of where, how I feel about my relationship with Dom. Like I've seen this guy get hundreds of dudes ready for the stage and almost without exception, every single one of those dudes was shredded to the bone. I'm talking inside out peeled. You could see their organs type of shit. And that's what I want. And having the faith in him that if I just do what he says, that's all I got to do. All I got to do is not cheat on the diet and do what he tells me to do every single day. And if I do that, I know unequivocally without a doubt, I will be probably the, the most peeled dude on that stage. And that's all I give a shit about. I don't even care how big I am at this point. I'm already bigger than I thought I was going to be, to be honest with you. Like I was getting ready to be a six foot one string bean up there and thinking to myself, as long as I'm peeled, I don't care. And at 227 pounds, I still got some decent mass on my legs. My back's looking better than I thought it was going to be. So it's like, at this point, I don't even give a shit. I just want to be inside out peeled. And I know if I just listen to this dude, that's going to happen. So yeah, psychologically and physically, it's a little bit of hell right now, but with six weeks left to go, it's so exciting. Like to see your body change every day, to notice new veins, to pinch yourself in places and feel the fat disappearing. Like fat's going away from places where it's never gone away from before. Like I've never not had like a little bit of a love handle. And you know what I mean? Not like big fat muffin tops, but like a little bit of pinching, you know what I mean? At the back there and the back corner, kind of just up above your glutes. Like it's always been chubby there and it's, that shit is starting to go away. I've never had bottom abs. You know how everybody gets the top two abs, but you, nobody ever gets the bottom two. Those are coming in, you know, the veins and the, the striations of my quads are coming in. I'm starting to see my glutes. Like, yeah, it's hard, but it's also consistently self-rewarding because of how fast everything is changing. So that's where we're at with bodybuilding. And I'm, I'm actually going to, I mentioned I was going to Arizona next week and I was like a little bit stressed about it, but I think I've got, I thought I had my meals sorted and now it turns out I don't, but I'm looking at a backup plan and I'm thinking to myself, if I have to, I'm just going to go to whole foods and I'll literally just like fill up a couple Tupperware dishes with like cooked steak and white rice and take it back to the hotel. I've got a hot plate that I'm going to buy a Canadian tire and take with me with a little frying pan and I'll just cook my meals as I need to and grab some eggs for, for breakfast. So that's where we're at with bodybuilding. So let's jump in on the Q and a, I want to thank everybody. Super thoughtful questions this week and a shitload of them. Every now and then when you put up a Q&A, you're like, I don't know, is anybody going to actually post anything to this? And when you get, you know, an ass load of responses, it really, you know, it's, it's rewarding, man. You're like, okay, people do give a shit about this stuff. So that's cool. 
All right. First guy says thoughts on the released regulation changes, a lot of misguided hate out there. And I want to say, I think that's a very interesting articulation of the question. Like it's clearly biased in favor of the first nations decision in a way, because I do think a lot of people aren't willing to associate some form of responsibility with this on the first nations. Like they clearly wanted less hunting pressure in their areas. And the fact of the matter is the real root cause of this issue is overly aggressive resource um, extraction. And instead of limiting the resource extraction, the government of British Columbia decided to limit residents' ability to go hunting. And the First Nations never stood up and said, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. That's not what we said. They were like, okay, works for us. So I do think some amount of responsibility for the current state resides with the First Nations. And I'm going to be completely honest about this. This like woke bullshit going on right now where you're not allowed to express opinion if it might hurt somebody's feelings or like, I am not about that. And I'm so sick and tired of all this bullshit. Like, here's what I'm willing to say. I'm a resident of British Columbia. I've been a resident of British Columbia for the last 25 years. I think I have just as much of a right to hunt in the province where I live and pay taxes and raise my family as anybody else. I don't think my rights supersedes anybody else's rights. I think everybody else should have rights too. But this idea that some people have more of a right to hunt in Canada than Canadian citizens do, I don't buy it for a second. I'm sorry. I just, I don't believe that. Now, this is not to say that I don't think we shouldn't look for amicable ways to move forward and respect history and the things that have gone on, but I do not believe that I should have to sacrifice my hunting rights in order to facilitate resource extraction and to appease some First Nations band that has some historical claim to an area. I personally don't believe that. And if that offends you, so be it. I'm not going to apologize for it. I do believe that they have a right to seek, you know, reconciliation and restitution, but I think there's a way to negotiate those conversations without stripping the rights away from Canadian citizens and British Columbia residents who, in my opinion, have just as much of a right to hunt and to provide for themselves in this province where we live and where we pay taxes and where we raise our families. And it pisses me off, man. Like, it's not right. I don't, I don't agree with that. So I will push back at the question a little bit. Like, I don't think the regulatory changes were well-researched. I think it was a knee-jerk reaction to a politically charged situation and a, a leftist woke government wanted a solution that would create the least amount of negative press for them. And so that's what we have. 
an, an ill-planned quick reaction that is attempting to appease some aggrieved parties. And I think it's bullshit. And I think it's the wrong way to approach this. I don't know why we had to do something this year. Like these things have been going on for decades. Like why couldn't we have done, you know, some population counts and what happened to together for wildlife? What happened to this plan of for scientific management that everyone agreed to and did barely got followed for like a year or two. It's ridiculous. So Anyways, man, it pisses me off. I don't think it's right. I don't agree with it. I'm not saying there isn't a cause to do some research and to potentially make some adjustments, but I want those adjustments backed by science. I don't want them backed by politically charged situations where people who don't even hunt are making decisions for people who do. Like This is a very, very important part of my life, and the fact that I'm powerless in my own province. Like I personally have more hunting rights in the United States of America than I do in BC. What the fuck is wrong with that? Literally, like I can go on on public land. I can vote on things. I can have my voice heard. They put things out for referendum. I am a I have more of an influence on hunting regulations south of the border as a private citizen than I do in my own province. Like, I'm sorry, but that is wrong. And on so many levels, I I don't even know where to start. Like the fact that they open these things for dialogue and comment, and I guarantee 99% of those comments were opposed to it and none of them got listened to. Like, what's the even point? Why are you even opening this for comment? Like, why aren't things like this open for, for referendum? Why aren't we seeking, you know, public voice on this? Why aren't we giving you know, enough time period for, you know, the appropriate science to be done. Anyways, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think I've made my opinion very clear. I am not opposed to people seeking restitution or reconciliation, but I am opposed to my rights as a Canadian citizen and a British Columbia resident being stripped away from me without due process. So that's my two cents. Take it or leave it. Should you bulk or cut in prep for a long backpacking hunt? I like this question on one hand and I don't like it in the other. Anytime you're asking yourself an either or question, it's called narrow framing bias and you are inappropriately limiting your options for no reason. So I like it because it shows an awareness that how you enter a hunt calorically could impact the quality of the hunt. So that's a good way to look at things. It's a bad way to look at things when you said, should I bulk or cut? I would argue neither. But if you had to err on the side of the caution, I think you should be going into a hunt in a caloric excess, not a caloric deficit. And I think that's counterintuitive to the way most people approach it. I think most people see a hunt coming up and they think, shit, I got to lose 20 pounds because I'm going to be quicker on the mountain. And they don't realize that going into things in a caloric deficit affects not just your physiology, but your psychology. So just like right now, I'm dragging myself around by the ass because I'm in a caloric deficit and I'm losing a lot of weight. It makes 
things more mentally challenging. Like even doing complex math right now is hard. You know, stringing together, you know, complete sentences can be challenging at some points during the day. I find myself searching for words all the time. So let's take that into a hunt. Let's say you cut for two weeks going into a hunt and, you know, your mental stamina or your ability to endure is going to be limited because you're placing yourself under undue stress. You are going to talk yourself out of doing the hard shit because you're going to be losing the mental game before you even start the physical game. So in a perfect world, if you got three, four months to go on a hunt, you should spend the first two months, you know, shaving whatever weight you want to shave. And then you'd be spending the last two months either being at maintenance calories or being in a slight excess. When I was leaner and, you know, a little younger, I used to go bulk pretty hard before hunts because I knew if I went in there a little bit fluffy, it would be gone in the first couple of days and it was just calories I didn't have to pack around in my backpack. I don't really subscribe to that theory anymore because I think you should kind of be lean and trim, but in a slight caloric excess because I think going into the hunt stronger physically and stronger psychologically is more of a benefit than shaving an extra two or three pounds in that last week or two. So great question, but broaden your potential answers a little bit. Try not to participate in binary thinking. Anytime it's either or, yes, no, this or that, ask yourself, don't ask yourself, how do I answer this question? Ask yourself, why is there only two options to this question? And how do I create more options? Buddy of mine says, do you fish? So I'm going to throw this out to the podcast. The answer is no, I don't really fish, but I'd like to, but I don't really know the first thing about fishing. I did a little bit as a kid, um, and have been ocean fishing a few times on like staff parties and stuff. But like, I don't know the first thing about what gear to buy or what knots to tie or any of that shit. And I'd like to throw it out to the podcast. If there's any other dads out there in the lower mainland or even close by in the interior, like the Kelowna or the Okanagan, and you're going to be taking your kids out this summer and you wouldn't mind me and my daughter tagging along, I would love to get my daughter out fishing. And I don't really know the first place to start. And I'm trying to take some of my own advice. And instead of just bashing my head against a brick wall and trying to figure things out on my own, reach out for some help. So I'd like to put this out to the podcast. If you got kids and you're going to be spending some time fishing this summer and and, and you wouldn't mind some company and you wouldn't mind teaching us a little bit about fishing, reach out. You know, I would, I'd love to come out and more, more specifically, I'd love to bring my daughter with me because I think, you know, she's six and I think she'd have a blast. And if there's any way I can hunt, help, you know, hunting, you know, with advice or gear or any of that kind of stuff, I'd be more than willing to, to kind of barter my experience for, for your experience. Um, Okay, recommended camera and lens and other equipment for casual use and wanting to start a YouTube. So this is not a question that I am particularly well-suited to answer because I tend to buy really expensive shit um, and I tend to get obsessed with production value. 
But I will say this, I had Nick Marciondo on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he recommended the Sony RX100, and I'm going to echo that recommendation. It's a point-and-shoot camera that has a zoom lens. It takes incredibly high-quality photographs and video for what it is. It's simple. It's compact. You can carry it and use it super easily. And I think it would be a great starter option. I also think, to be frank, your phone is a great starter option. Um, it has some drawbacks as well, but if you're limited financially and you just want to start a YouTube or you just want to start filming some reviews or some stuff on your hunts or whatever, uh, you could totally do it with your phone. No problem. And if not, I think a Sony RX 100, there's a similar Canon, but I'm not a Canon guy, so I don't know what it is. But if you just look at, you know, Canon point and shoots in the 1000 to $1,200 range, that'll that'll get you into the one I'm talking about. I just can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Um, and I don't think you need a whole lot else. A, a pretty cheap external mic is normally a good idea. There's one called a Rode Video Micro that goes for like 70 bucks. That's gonna give you a big difference in the quality of audio that you capture. I think the next thing I might recommend would be a GoPro. And to be honest, you could even get away with just using a GoPro at first. And they're about 500 bucks for the newer ones. And because they shoot in 5K, you can uh, zoom in pretty severely. Another reason I'm a big fan of adding a GoPro to the arsenal is the fact that we're often exposed to the elements in what we do. <clears throat> and the GoPros are a tank. I thought I broke my Sony a7 III on my goat hunt last winter. And I actually filmed that entire hunt on two GoPros and you'd never know looking at it. It looks, it looks really good. I'm, I'm even surprised rewatching it myself these days that it was all filmed on two GoPros and I still have the nines. The tens are even better. Um, I might upgrade this year because I, I usually upgrade my GoPros every other year. You can still get, you know, two, 300 bucks for the used ones. So it's, you're paying about 50% to upgrade. But that's that's about it. I think that's where I would that's where I would start with that. I don't think you really need too much else. All right, Gary says we are losing hunting opportunities in BC. How do we motivate others to act? This is a very interesting question as well, and I want to talk about kind of the perspective of allies. So Backcountry hunters and anglers took a lot of shit because of their recruitment efforts. Now, I think their heart was in the right place in that they were of the opinion that if there were more hunters, we would be a greater percentage of the overall population and we would have a greater likelihood of a voting voice and a lobbying voice when regulatory changes were proposed. Here's the issue with that. You know, let's say will be generous and say that 5% of North America hunts. And now let's say we're able to do the impossible and double the hunting population, which is insane. It would never happen. The hunting population has barely grown in the last 20 years and some would argue it's shrunk. But let's say we do it anyways. My question is, so what? So we've gone from 5% to 10%? There's still 90% of people out there who aren't hunters. We still get smoked at the polls anytime if 
though the rest of that population is even moderately opposed or just not um, vocally supportive of hunting. So in my opinion, the question is not how do we get more people to hunt? It's how do we create allies from non-hunters? And I did this project for one campfire through my day job where we looked at non-hunting outdoor enthusiasts. So we're talking mountain bikers, rock climbers, campers, uh, overlanders, because these individuals have the same type of philosophies and care about the same things that we do. They care about conversation, conference, con, they care about conservation. They care about keeping wild places wild. They care about being able to be isolated and secluded in the wilderness. And they care about the personal growth that comes from spending time in wild places. And so my question or the mission or the thing that I care about is not necessarily how do we get more people hunting? It's how do we have more conversations with those non-hunting outdoor enthusiasts and build relationships and create a sense of belonging or understanding with them that, hey, even if they don't hunt, they know some hunters, they know hunters care about the same things they do, and they're willing to support things that hunters need support on because we'll we'll do it in return. You know, if there's something that matters to the local mountain bike club and they need some public support, you know, share the thing that they need shared, go vote at the thing they need voted on. And then when we need that in return, we should be able to go approach them as well. And this can be done very practically. You know, I give out sausages to my neighbors, literally. I go and I, I hit them up. If I see them in the street, I'll, you, you know, do you eat meat? Do you, do you like wild game? I have some deer sausage. Can I give you some sausage? And it's literally just me trying to say like, hey, there's this thing I do. I'm a normal dude, just a dad down the street. I like to hunt. And now they have this positive association with hunting. You know, trailhead diplomacy. When you have to share the trailhead with people who aren't hunters, you treat them with respect so that, you know, when they get home from their trip, they're like, man, those hunters we ran into were like really nice dudes. And they start to associate, you know, positive characteristics with the hunting population. And then when hunting related things come up, they feel more inclined to support them. So I think long-term, it's this education and relationship building with the non-hunting outdoor enthusiasts that's really important as we move forward. However, one caveat is that I don't think we should have to sacrifice our way of life or compromise you know, inappropriately in order to do that. For instance, I kill animals. I don't harvest them. And I take trophy shots. I take grip and grins because I still have some from when I was a kid and my old man got his moose and those things mean the world to me. They are emotional, you know, sentimental collectibles for me that I'm going to keep the rest of my life. I don't do it to disrespect an animal or to brag or, you know, to get more likes on Instagram. I do it because when I look at those pictures, it brings everything back to me in crystal clear detail. So I won't change the way I speak about hunting. I won't change the way I engage with the animals that I kill while hunting, 
but I can still be respectful and I can still build relationships. And I don't think we have to compromise who we are or what we believe in, in order to engage with, with other demographics. Any unanticipated training impacts from the body mass fluctuation you've had this year? Yeah, a shitload. Um, and let's take it back three years because I essentially started at 209 pounds three years ago. I got up as high as 271 pounds and now I'm back to 227. And if you ask me to guess, I think I'll be about 210 on stage. So I will probably have gone almost completely full circle, except I will have added you know, probably 25 pounds of lean muscle mass over the course of three years, which is pretty impressive if I do say so myself. Um, my knees took a beating. I tore a meniscus and I blame that on the body weight. I blame that on trying to backcountry hunt while I was 260 pounds. It was stupid, but I'm stupid. Um, and like the song says, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. My sleep went to shit. I had sleep apnea. I had to buy a CPAP machine. Um, my blood pressure went to shit. I had to go on kind of a herbal blood pressure medication and I had to get a blood pressure monitor and I take my blood pressure three, four times a week in the morning to make sure it doesn't get out of hand. Um, there's been several unintended consequences. Now, as I'm starting to lose the weight, a lot of that stuff is reversing. My knees feel better than they have in years. My blood pressure is way down. My sleep is phenomenal. And what this really drilled into me was at 43 years old, I'm never getting that big again, ever. I think I probably want to walk around at about 220. I'm six foot one. If I could be, you know, 12% body fat and 220 pounds for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. That's a pretty fit dude. Um, but I'm also okay with paying the price. Like nothing comes easy and there's no free lunch. I wanted to step on stage as a bodybuilder once in my life, and I wanted to do it meaningfully. I didn't want to step up there as a string bean. I didn't want to just do it just to do it. I wanted to do it with conviction and with a real package and a real physique. And that shit don't come easy, and you got to pay the price. And the price I paid was, you know, part of my health, part of my psychology, you know, a shitload of food. And I'm okay with that. But like most things in life, if you want to really succeed at something that's challenging, there's going to be a, a cost. What is a great first hunt to introduce an Easterner to Western style hunting? I'm a big fan of bear hunting. Uh, they taste better than most people think. They're more, um, there's more of them around. See, like there's an example. I was talking about my vocabulary the other day. I know there's a perfect word for what I was trying to say. And I just, it's gone, man. I, I don't know what it is. So they're more prevalent, maybe. Uh, the populations are more dense. Anyways, there's a shitload of bears in places like Idaho and British Columbia. So there's lots of ways. Tags are easy to get. British Columbia residents get two bear tags every single year. And it's probably the longest season between spring and fall. I can't think of anything else that's open even close to as long. Um, and they're predators. So they, they behave a little differently. It's a little easier to get interactions. Sometimes they can be a little easier to stalk. Um, 
I love it for a lot of reasons and it doesn't happen in your main season. So if you've never been on a hunt before, you get out for this little kind of training hunt in the spring, you can go day hunting. You could go for a couple weekends. You can take a week off work and go into the backcountry. That's the other thing about bear hunting. You don't have to go in the middle of nowhere. There's all kinds of places that are pretty close to where you live, where you can go find bears and legally hunt them. So I think that's a great way to kind of wet your beak. I think number two is obviously going to have to be deer. Again, I think they tend to be pretty close to where people live. So you don't have to invest a lot of time and energy. I think they're, I don't want to say they're easier to hunt and kill, but there's a shorter learning curve, at least to get, you know, just an adequate representation of the species. Like you want to be killing 180 inch bucks. That's a lifelong endeavor. I'm not here to say that's easy, but like, going out and getting a three point in an open season. Like it's not rocket science. Like most people could, could get that done in the first year or two. So that number one pick would be black bear. Number two pick would be some type of deer species. All right. What's going on with LEH? Well, my friend, LEH just came out. So that's what's going on with LEH. Everybody let me know if they want me to do an update on my own picks. Actually, don't let me know because I'm not going to share my picks and I'm kind of opposed to these like, like LEH workshops. I like kind of stumbling around and trying to figure my way out. So I will say if you have any particular questions or you think I'd be helpful and you want some one-on-one feedback on the LEH application, let me know and I'm more than willing to help, but I'm not going to do this like, hey, this is a good unit to apply for primarily because I'll get flamed by everybody for it. And I don't believe in that anyways. All right. What cameras and mic setup do you use? Okay. So I have several, uh, mics. I have one camera, well, three cameras. I have one main body, a Sony alpha one. It is Sony's flagship mirrorless camera. It's about 10 grand. And I have three primary lenses for that camera. I have a Sigma 24 to 70, uh, 2.8 that I'm just about to sell and replace with a Sony G master series two, 24 to 70, 2.8. I have a Sony G master 14 mil 1.4 and a Sony G master 35 mil 1.4. Um, I believe in really nice glass. One of the things I've learned is that, especially as you start to build up a decent gear cabinet, Good glass is more important than a good body. It will retain its value longer and it's more of a bottleneck to production quality. You can actually get away, like for instance, you can buy a three quarter frame camera and full frame lenses. And then when you upgrade to a full frame camera, you can still use those same lenses. So you can buy alpha glass, a beta body, and then stick the alpha glass on an alpha body at some point later on. Um, so I recommend, yeah, buy really nice glass and maybe a used body. If you don't, you can buy used glass as well. Used alpha glass. There's nothing wrong with it. And then for mics, I have a Rode video micro on my camera. Actually, I've replaced that with a deity D E I T Y. It's a dual mic. It's got a microphone in the front and the back. And that way, when I talk to the camera from behind, it actually records me. Uh, for the podcast, I use two uh, Rode Podcaster Pros, 
And then I have a shotgun mic, an Octavia shotgun mic that I use for the studio. That's really good as well. It's this weird Russian thing that's kind of like under the radar, but for the money, it's up there with like some Sennheiser shotgun mics. And then, as I mentioned before, I have two GoPro Hero 9 Blacks. Um, what video editing do you use? I use Premiere. I think Premiere and Final Cut Pro are essentially equivalent. I think it's just whichever system you want to learn. I hear people complain about career Premiere and I hear people complain about Final Cut Pro. I, I used to use Final Cut Pro and now I use Premiere. I feel more comfortable in Premiere and it's a little bit more intuitive for me, but I've seen some tutorials on Final Cut Pro and I was like, oh, I kind of wish that my software application did that. The other nice thing about Adobe products is that I use the entire suite of products. So I edit all my photos on Lightroom, make all my thumbnails and do a bunch of graphic design in Photoshop. I edit all my videos in Premiere. And so the whole suite kind of works together and you can buy it. I pay 80 bucks a month for a subscription and I get all the applications. They all stay updated all the time. They're legal all the time. Um, and so that's another pretty compelling reason to just get familiar with the Adobe suite of applications. Talk about lifting heavy shit because it's cool. I like lifting heavy and I wish I could lift heavier. I know some like legitimate strong guys at the gym and it's like super impressive. And with the age I am, that's never going to be the case. I have a couple lifts that are like respectable. You know, I got up to a six plate hack squat earlier in the year before I blew up my knee. Um, and I got up to, I think it was a 275 pound incline bench press for eight reps, which is like respectable for a dude my age. Um, I think lifting heavy has a bunch of positive and somewhat unintended consequences from a hypertrophy perspective. I think the novel stimulus of progressive overload and forcing yourself to lift a little bit more every week uh, can't be underestimated. And I think the kind of osteopathic benefits or like your bone density benefits to lifting heavy has been proven fairly substantially in the literature. And I think psychologically, like when you get under the bar, with a lot of weight in there, like there's leg days where my hands are clammy and I'm kind of nervous and I think I'm going to puke a little bit, like feeling that fear and then doing it anyways. I think there's a lot of benefits to that. So I'm a big fan of lifting heavy and I think most people should lift heavier. Would you rather hunt bear over dogs with a bow, spot and stock with a rifle or bait with a bow? What a great question. I'm going to go bait with a bow. I am not opposed to bait hunting at all. I kind of like the little hardcore, more hardcore version. Like I like when I see dudes like hiking in these barrels into the back country for bears and stuff. That's probably a little more my cup of tea than like the corn feeders in Texas. But like, I don't give a shit, man. I'll hunt corn feeders in Texas too, any day. I'm not opposed to any type of hunting that's legal and kind of ethically aligned with the traditional use uh, policies of that area. So I, I'm totally fine with that. And bears are a hard animal to hunt. They're also a hard animal to be selective about. It can be very challenging to tell boars from sows. 
I've thought boars were really big, man, looking at them through the glass. And then you, that ground shrinkage, you shoot them and walk up on them. You're like, I probably shouldn't have shot that bear. They're very hard to judge. And I think having the luxury of having them come into bait and you can like pick and choose and look, I definitely like going on a guided baited, uh, bear hunt next spring is totally on my to-do list. I would love to shoot just a giant black bear over bait, always with a bow. I have no interest in shooting a, a bear with a rifle over bait. Um, I think the dog thing is super interesting as well. Um, maybe not something I would be into all the time. I like the kind of more solo pursuits of hunting. And I think like the noise and the, but, but I, but I think it's just a different kind of thing. And I've always wanted to go cat hunting with dogs. So I think that that would, I, I would love to do that as well. But if, but I think what I would like to do most is probably the bait with a bow essentials for vitamins, electrolytes to take on first sheep hunt. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You're going to go to mindfulhunter.com slash tools. You're going to enter your email address and you're going to download my backcountry meal planning guide because I go into extreme detail about micronutrients, macronutrients, electrolytes, greens, powders, all that kind of stuff. And it's a little bit too in-depth for the podcast, I will say this, I think it's likely the most overlooked element of backcountry nutrition. Everybody thinks about macros, nobody thinks about micros. And if you want to talk about operating at kind of peak efficiency, you have to be looking after your electrolytes and your micronutrient profiles. And the only way to do that within the backcountry is with supplementation because your mountain house and your peak refuels and all that kind of stuff are just not going to have naturally occurring the amount that you need to find. So yeah, I bring things like fish oil and vitamin D3 and a green supplement. I bring a fiber supplement to keep me regular. I put electrolytes in all my water. I bring a turmeric to keep inflammation down. Lots of good stuff, but go download that backcountry meal planning guide because I think there's a lot of really good information in there. Do you butcher the animals yourself or take it to a butcher? I do both. I prefer to do it at home. However, if it's a giant animal, like an elk or a moose, or I don't have time, it is really nice to have a butcher professionally prepare it. Also, when I do things at home, I'm like the simplest butcher you can imagine. Like I took two bears last year and I ground two entire bears, kept a little bit of stew beef. But other than that, I literally ground two full bears. Um, I had, how many deers, deer did I have this year? Two deer. And I made sausage with all the deer meat. Um, we have a very small family. My wife is a vegetarian. My daughter is only six and there's me. So having a fridge full of like roasts and hams and other stuff. Now, I do like keeping some of that stuff around just because family events and other things. And it's like fun, interesting stuff to cook. But for the most part, I keep it hyper simple. Also, I love giving away wild game because people, it just blows their minds. Like they, they love it so much. And 
in my experience, the best thing to give away is sausage. Cause here's the deal. Unless it's like a, a backstrap from an elk or something like most deer is like not terribly easy to cook, very easy to overcook. Some of it cannot be the most flavorful stuff in the world. And when I give people meat, I'm trying to reduce the amount of variables that can go wrong. I want to create the highest likelihood percentage of a positive interaction with that meat. And in my experience, that comes through sausage because I make it myself. I keep the fat content kind of low, 15%. So it's not this big grease stick. Um, I keep them super flavorful, but not, you know, too spicy so that the whole family can enjoy them. And unequivocally, every single person that I've given sausage to has loved it. So that's my recommendation. Um, if you're going to give away meat, give away sausage. And if you're going to butcher it yourself, learn to make sausage. And I've always done fresh sausage. And now that I have the Traeger this year, I'm looking forward to doing some smoked stuff like some you know, pepperoni sticks and some um, maybe smokies and some other things. Like I want to up my game a little bit. All right. Last question. Best tip for a new bow hunter. Um, I'm going to give two tips. Number one, practice like you hunt. You are not a target archer. So when you get to the range, there's only one shot that matters all day. It's the first one you take. And I don't see people paying enough attention to that. They go there and as long as they start shooting decent by the seventh or eighth arrow, they like give themselves a pat on the back. And it's like, yeah, well, you just missed an animal six times before you hit it. And in the real world, that shit don't fly. And so I go through these little mini visualization exercises when I get to the range and I actually try and like see the animal in my mind's eye, create a sense of pressure and tension, put that pressure on myself that this is it. I only got one arrow. This is it right now. And kind of replicate that feeling that you get. And, and, and I want to sink the 12 ring on the first arrow and every arrow. Um, or I want to hit the X if I can, like I, I place an undue level of importance on the first arrow, because in reality, that's the only one that matters. And I'll find ways to, to, to kind of like increase that as well. Like for instance, I shoot really short ends. Lots of times I only shoot three arrows. I don't want to get into the habit of not getting good until my fourth or fifth arrow. I want the first, I want, I want to feel, I want to give every single arrow the importance that it has in the field. So I only shoot two or three. I take a break. I might even take a lap around the archery range or take a, you know, sit on my phone for a minute and take a break. And then I shoot two or three more. It's not a numbers game. I used to think if I go there every day and shoot 50 arrows, I'll be better at the end of X amount of time. And the thing is you become a better target archer, but you don't become a better hunter. That being said, some days are for skill development and sometimes just getting in reps are what you need to get there. But once you've got your reps nailed and you start developing an actual base of skill, Practice like you hunt, not the other way around. The next tip I'm going to give is it's important to understand your gear, but don't get overwhelmed by it. 
There are so many people look, and this happens in workout too. Like, oh, how much salt should I have in this meal? And how much water do I put in? How many grains should this be? And what pound it? And it's just like, oh, for Christ's sakes. As long as you have a decent archery shop, make sure you have a solid setup that you trust and then just go get good with it. And then start putting some animals on the ground. All these like backyard archery heroes who don't actually kill shit is like kind of frustrating. Um, I'm certainly, you know, there's lots of people who've killed more than I have, but for the amount of time I've been archery hunting, I'm very happy with the number of animals I've put down. And I'm also happy with how I conduct myself under pressure. Like I don't fold and I don't buckle. Um, and that's because I've been up close to animals and I've put arrows through them multiple times that I now understand how that feels and I'm ready for it and I'm prepared for it. And that only happens through experience and exposure. Um, and that's not going to happen if you're on some forum worried about what your fucking FOC is. It's like, just go drill something with an arrow and then you'll find out what actually works. All right. That's enough of me ranting for this week. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. As always, if you could engage with the platform, like, comment, share, subscribe, it's always greatly appreciated. And until next time, thanks for tuning in.